That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Diagra Moon Losing my opinion I can't say that I am fully myself After the last couple of days But What happened? Uh, my voice is decimated it's, it's weddings. Weddings? That's why. Weddings. Two weddings. I was back-to-back weddings this weekend. One Friday night, one Saturday morning. Uh, both beautiful experiences. One was for one of my best friends, this guy Mike, and his partner Amanda. The other was for my cousin Rebecca, her partner Francesco. Had a great time. I have not been drinking. Not a drop. Well, water, somewhat. But what I've been doing is yelling over music. Which is that? That's just what you do. You mean karaoke? No, <laughs> no. It's what you do at a at a wedding. You, you try to talk to your table, your circular table. While the DJ's blasting it like twice as loud as it needs to be. Does their thing. Like that's just how it is. Every wedding is like that. My wedding was like that. You know, we we always said Emily and I were like, all right, we're gonna say the volume should be this or whatever, and then you know, it just always sort of cre- creeps up, and people start dancing, starts getting intense, and they do their thing. And that's what should happen, right? The wedding is not for the people that are just sort of huddled at the tables uh, yelling in each other's ears. But that's, that's what I was doing with Emily. So we sound like pretty shredded. You're not a big dancer, huh? You too? Well, we do. Well, she is. She dances a lot. And, and, I'll, and I'll go. I'll go. I'll make a fool of myself. But, you know, she's the one who has the ability. What did you have at your wedding? Did you have a DJ? Did you have a... Of course we had a DJ. DJ Pete. Uh, yeah, it's like the, the <laughs> so a good, there's a good plug for him. I'm sure he's really happy that, he- you know, the first half of the day, it's stuff that we picked. It's not necessarily, Hey, everybody dance right now. Kind of music. You get to kind of shake it up. He was playing some vampire weekend at one point, mm. but there comes a certain point in the evening. I've seen this with pretty much every wedding I've gone to where it's, it's top 40. It's, you know, the hits everybody really wants to hear and dance to. And it, it takes on a life of its own, you know, by the time you're done eating dinner. It's just what it is. I want to talk about this today. On what show is this? Wow. We're, we're already getting there, huh? I had a whole... I thought we were going to talk about Now and Then, the new Beatles single. Oh, well, we can still do that. I don't really have anything to say on it. I, I have a little bit to say, but not a ton. It's cool that AI can separate an instrument that's like really loud while vocals are yeah. going on, and you can just separate the vocals. That was like the main breakthrough that made the thing happen. Yeah. It's an. It's not a finished song. I mean, they did the best they no. could, but I didn't make it all the way through. Now and then, I'm like, eh, I like this one little part here. You got the classic Lennon, yeah. twisty, sinister chord progression, but eh. I had. A, I have a couple thoughts about it. One, uh, they're in their 80s. You know, like I think I don't know what the expectation was from people, but like I, I've sort of felt like I knew what it was going to be. You know, this is a McCartney-driven thing. You hear where McCartney's yeah, at yeah. In, his, in his life at this point. Like, the, he's got nothing to prove. He's, you know, you know, well on his way in his life. He doesn't, he, yeah. And Giles Martin, I'm not sure, like, I don't know what, how much of a producer he is. Like, I know that he has a brilliant pair of ears. He did a bang-up job on the 2018 release of the White Album. Like, I'll listen to that over the original Right, but what are we talking about? Is that production or is that engineering? Yeah, mixing engineering. Who fucking knows, yeah. As a technical mind, he's got it. But like, I don't know, like creating the original music, 
it's a different thing. But it sounds like him and Paul were sort of eye, eye to eye on this one. Uh, I also thought it was hilarious that McCartney, <laughs> that George Harrison had a solo on that song. It's just the same shit that's been happening since like 1968. Like just, oh, actually, let me just nip in there. And, you know, like it's just the same bullshit. It's, it hasn't gone away. He, he took whatever the solo that was there was probably at least fine. Knowing George, it was good. And what do we get in its place? Three notes on a slide guitar. And it's just like, come on, Paul, like you're still stripping George's parts down. Like you couldn't just let it. I'm a Paul defender. You know, I, I saw Get Back and was like, sure you know, you yeah, are. this guy was like shouldering this band. You who called him a lazy songwriter, Paul defender. Mm-hmm. That was made more of than it yeah, was. Yeah. But, you know, he, he was he was shouldering them. Like he was keeping them alive. And I think it was unfair the way they portrayed him in the first the original release of Let It Be, right. but um, this is like sort of inexcusable. <laughs> you can't defend it. Yeah. Speaking of Let It Be, you know, I talked about Phil Spector last week for our Halloween episode, Cursed Songs. Sure. Uh, and he's certainly a cursed man. Phil Spector, producer of Let It Be, you know, Imagine definitely was the Beatles' it man for a while. But I was like, okay, this guy, obviously he's nuts. He's a convicted murderer. Mm-hmm. What was going on back in the day? What kind of guy was he? I was watching an interview from 1972, him on like the old gray. Whistle test. Yeah. Great show. Love that show. You can tell. I so My theory before was his car accident in 1974, like rattled his brain and made him nuts, but he was yeah. fucking nuts on this show. He, he was going <laughs> in and out of a... A Harrison impersonation, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like one minute he has his Bronx accent and then he'd just be talking like, it's all about angles, you know, like just going into Liverpool accent with no context, no reason, just absolute dead eyes, just fucking nut job. (laughs) Dangerous. Dangerous guy. Yeah, it's a fascinating interview if anybody wants to check it out. But just what is going on in that guy's head? He's an easy rider, too, if you ever saw that movie. He like seems like he's just playing <laughs> he's himself. Just like, hey, I didn't know you guys were filming. Here, <laughs> anyway, here's the stuff. <laughs> oh, this camera's here. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. With his sweet wigs that he has yeah. on. Yeah, he's a nutcase. I did see that Al Pacino <laughs> movie they made <laughs> of him, where they had. There was a period there where they just had Al Pacino just like impersonating various historical figures, <laughs> but like as Al Pacino. Uh, so it's very enjoyable. Um, yeah. Well, to to answer your much earlier question, what shows this? What is this? Why, what are we doing? This is losing my opinion. Why are we here? Uh, we come on here, we talk about music, we share songs with each other in real time, but the other person doesn't know what to expect. Or who they are. That's why we're so awkward and unprepared. Uh, I am multiple <laughs> layers wearing indie artist Niagara Moon, a.k.a. Thomas Irwin. I am single layer wearing indie artist Thin Lear, a.k.a. Matt Longo. Uh, I'm a little cold, though. I, I should be multi-layered now. Especially after the last couple of days, I feel like I there's a cold just hovering above me. Mm. If I'm in a car for more than two hours, my butt hurts. I got no insulation. I'm skin and bones. So this is uh, mm. it's a period of adjustment for me going into winter here. Humble brag. All right. Well, speaking of something hovering above me. So, okay. So the wedding is this weekend. A lot of fun. Really enjoyed it, even though my voice is gone. Like getting hit in the head, like Newton when he got hit in the head with the apple, right? That's how I was inspired. By these weddings this weekend. Today's episode is going to venture into the crucible of wedding music. And you brought it up a second ago. You know, like I noticed it at my own wedding. 
Like I really made a point to select music to try to have some control over the vibe. I made like a four-hour playlist. <laughs> I was like really over the top. I was like, oh, I'm a music guy. Like I'm going to just every single facet of it. Did you do that? Did you, you, you said you made somewhat of a playlist and then they veered off, right? Right. And, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get to fit in all my weird picks. I didn't go nuts here. I left a lot of it open to, you know, my now wife, my in-laws to, to make their selections. I'm not really a party guy. I don't have a sense of a party playlist, but... Twitching, throbbing, twitching, throbbing. You cut the cake to that? No, the farthest, uh, farthest out there I could get was like Caravan by Van Morrison felt like a stretch. Hey, that's not that. That's, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's fine. I, 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 did, I kept it pretty modest. Okay. That's good, good for you, knowing the, the, everyone's limitations. Yeah. Well, what, what ended up happening was the DJ did some of the playlist I picked, and then rightfully, because he knows <laughs> people don't want to hear certain stuff, he picked the ones that are more like super up-tempo, pivoted over to like wedding music, and I don't blame him. But he knew people wanted to hear the classics at a certain point, and, and they do. And like I noticed it at the weddings this weekend, like, you know, those couples love music. They clearly had to say... In, in the playlist, they had some strong suggestions. And like, again, it started out like first three quarters, like there was a lot of that influence. And then the classics start to like slowly but surely creep in and it, but it gets people out there. Motown. And you will, I want to get into that. I want to get into that. Cause I, one, it's this part of the rite of passage, like to listen to these songs. It's almost like it's part of the pageantry of, of a wedding now to go through it, to listen to shout or whatever. Like it's, it's part of it. You Build know? me up. Buttercup, baby, just to let me down. Exactly. So in the context of the wedding environment, some of these songs, which you know we're talking about right now, listened to under any other circumstances would be dead on arrival. Like, you're not, you're not going to listen to Build Me Up, Buttercup on earbuds, right? It assaults me at every turn. I don't need to play it myself. It's just every fucking gathering or business I go to, it seems to be on. Sure. But in the context of a wedding environment, I do think some of these songs, as played out as they are, take on their true form, their true power. They're, they're still important for that context, especially. Exactly. Well, even more than that, I kind of dug some of them. <laughs> and, I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally, and if I was just hanging out, I wouldn't, I would be like, I don't want to hear this. But like in the, in the context of a pumping wedding sound system with people dancing and getting, you know, excited, I kind of started to enjoy some of these songs again. So what we're going to do today is a test. I want you to envision yourself in the wedding world Okay, you're wearing an ill-fitted suit. You just finished a salad with a tasteful amount of dressing. Mm. Heat is rising on the dance floor. And then one of these songs comes All on. Right. Uh, how likely are you for the following tunes to be like, huh, you know, this is a great song. I maybe want to dance. I want you to think about which of these classic wedding numbers still have life left in them. Like how much vitality is what there? What still gets me excited? What gets me in a good mood versus... Played out, I don't want to hear Whatever. this anymore, obnoxious, et cetera. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, this is going to be a different kind of episode because I have I have 11 songs here. We're obviously not going to listen to that. But I, I want us to talk about some of them and maybe listen to others that I think deserve the listen. Okay. Um, we'll see how you feel. These are the, ter- the tunes I heard at my own wedding that I've heard at basically every wedding I've ever been to. I did not request these. They got played anyway. They play them for you. They, but they crushed it. All of them crushed it. <laughs> There's not a, not a clunker in the bunch. You can choose four of these 11 songs as your stone cold wedding mm. bangers that you still feel like these okay. give, give you that, that juice, okay? Four of them. So let's start off. This is not one that we have to play. Dancing Queen, ABBA. I dig that. That's good. Yeah. You like that? You don't feel like it's, 
it's lost its uh, luster for you? You know, I hear people reference Dancing Queen or I'll hear like a few seconds of it, but I don't feel like I hear Dancing Queen start to finish that often. Mm. Maybe that's just the circles I'm running in, but <laughs> yeah, that ABBA just fucking brings everybody together. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with Dancing Queen. Yeah, for sure. You are? Okay. Well, I, I wasn't feeling it. I have to say, mm. uh, there are actually other songs from ABBA that I do love, like SOS and Take a Chance on Me for Waterloo. Waterloo's great. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Dancing Queen's kind of played out for me. I don't know. I, I heard it in the sp- three times in the span of 24 hours recently, though. So I didn't feel anything from it. Mm. But yeah. Where, where, how do you feel? Are you gonna, where are you going to put that? Do you feel strongly about it? or just- I feel good. I don't know if I feel the top you know, 100%, let's roll with that one. I'll have to hear some others, but that that's that's sounded pretty good so far. Okay, all right, cool. I want to listen, let's listen to this next one because this this one I feel like deserves a second listen because I have not listened to this song in a long time. Yeah. Um, respect, Aretha Franklin. Oh. Uh, two days ago, I would have said, nah, I've heard this song a million times. It's dead to me. I love the Otis Redding version. Sure. That I can still listen to endlessly. But this one is obviously more in the public eye. Let me tell you something. My love for this song has awoken. And I want to listen to it and figure out why. Like, why am I drawn to this again? And and what do you feel about it? That's another one where it's referenced all the time, at least in my mind. And I hear that chorus all the time in whatever context on TV. But I don't know how that song begins. Like, I haven't. That one hasn't been played out to me. Wow, all right. All right, yeah, let's check it out. Do they have that on YouTube? Do they have that on YouTube? Are we going to have to do a private upload? It's not banned. It's not a Jimi Hendrix song. It's out there for the people. (laughs) I'm going to have to. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's just, it's a, obviously it's a perfect song. A number of these songs are perfect songs, but it's the swagger of the song that I think keeps it alive. And it's just classic Motown. The bottom end is perfect for a wedding sound system. Her voice is obviously incredible, but like, you know, that's not anything new. Yeah, this is a no-brainer. Like, listen to that bass line. It's just like, I could listen to that all day. They could isolate the path of me, and I would listen to it. I want the, what was it, King Tubby dub version? Lee Scratch Perry shit? All low end? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. All right. Certain songs are classics for a reason. You, you can't really overdo yes, them. Yes, this is definitely one of those songs. Yeah. Good stuff. Where would you, where you, how are you feeling about that one? You feel like it's towards the higher end? Of- I got to hear the solist first, but that, that's doing pretty well. It might be a little ahead of Dancing Queen. Yeah. All right, great. That's all I wanted to know. It's just sort of where, is, where are things falling? Uh, I'm going to do a controversial hot take here. Uh, September, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I do not like this song. Overplayed. That one is overdone. <laughs> I do not like Yes. <laughs> what is, I, I'm like so indifferent <laughs> to that song. It's so. it's just it's like stays like right here it doesn't go anywhere yeah um i would not rank it highly on the list of tunes that still have life for me i don't even really like it i didn't like it 
the first time I heard it, like I, I think it's just a fine. There's, it's fine. It's not a bad song, but it's not. There's like, something plastic about Earth, Wind, and Fire. Sure. Well, let's pivot then. Okay, so I feel similarly about that song. Let's pivot to something that is tight as a snare drum, similarly, but is is not plastic and still has a lot of vitality. Mm-hmm. Somehow, even though I've heard it a million times, Kiss, Prince. Ah. This is probably my favorite Prince song. Really. Uh, it's just like, it's the right amount of, <laughs> uh, goofy and erotic yep. that like sits that like, what is a, a wedding? Like it's, it's, you know, like that, that just sort of sits right in the middle of yep. like romance yep. and eroticism and goofiness is like wedding culture. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's perfect dead center for that, especially for the drunken portions of a wedding. Ah, this is like a 10 out of 10. It. Yeah, let's let's listen to that one. I feel okay. like that's worthy of listening to. Uh, I like Prince. I think a lot more than you do. Yeah, you do. I mean, for obviously, sure. this is an inarguable pop classic. I've heard it a lot. I've definitely heard this one at weddings. This is lower tier for me. This is definitely lower okay. than the uh, the others we've we've gone over so far. Okay. Maybe I'm not as much of a Prince guy as you are, so I haven't played some of these out. I can play uh, Purple Rain, 1999. Back to back, his first album is really tight. I, I like me a lot of Prince. Sign of the Times. Sign of the Times is actually the one Prince album that I know like inside and out, and I love it. I can't, I can't say why that happened. I mean, I know 1999, I know Purple Rain, but like in terms of like the deep love I have for Sign of the Times, I yeah. Mm. <laughs> yep, here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's just the right amount of negative space. Top comments on YouTube. This song got my 91-year-old grandma on the dance floor at my cousin's wedding. This is what I'm talking about, man. This is what I'm talking about. This is the wedding playlist. Like, this is where this song lives. Whatever you th- wherever you thought this song lived before, it doesn't. It lives at weddings. Prince is fucking great. Anything he does has something to it. This one is minimal. Intentionally so, but minimal in a way that I get tired of it after too many listens. It's it's played out. Okay. No baseline, you know. That's what gives it all that space, though. It's too much space for me. There's <laughs> all this space is making me uncomfortable. Um. All right. Yeah. That that one yeah. didn't. You didn't give me any new life with that one just now. Wow. Okay. So we're still thinking about respect being pretty high on this list here. This is a weird one. I don't know when this happens, but you can call me out, uh, Paul Simon. Like, that's the winner already. Start, I, that's we're not going to beat that. <laughs> Wait though. Wait. Why is this a wedding song? I like, don't know. I I do like it. It's romantic. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's one of it's it's for Paul Simon. It's it's not high on the romantic spectrum, but yeah, it's it's a romantic song. It's fun. It reminds me of that. I don't know if you ever watched that show Portlandia with Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein, but there's sure. the episode where there's going to be like a karaoke night and all the couples are are like, oh, we should do You Can Call Me Out by Paul Simon. Let's do that one for karaoke. But like several different couples pick that same song. <laughs> I've not seen that episode, but that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's like, I it just, it's, it makes me scratch my head because it's, it's not my favorite Paul Simon song, obviously, or even my favorite song on Graceland. That's, you know, nuts, but... Uh, how did this one get into a wedding rotation? It's just such a strange... Chevy Chase, did he do it? He took it over the top with the music video there? 
Oh, maybe the, just the level of be, it being in the public eye. Yeah. But it, it is a weird one. Is it the most popular song from Graceland, which is one of the most popular albums yes. from the 80s? So, I mean, there yeah. you go. And yeah. It's a great beat. It's unusual. It stands out. It's still got a great melody. Yeah, I, I don't. I haven't heard this one at a wedding though. I gotta say, but if I did, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I heard it the other day. I think it's in there. It got, it got, it got bumped into the rotation. But so you, you, you're high on that for as a wedding. I song. don't think we're gonna beat that. I just, I love that song so much. Jeez, yeah. Louise. All right, let's pivot to one that I think you're not gonna like. Uh, that I love, no <laughs> and we are gonna listen to. Unfortunately for you, December 1963, The Four Seasons. What? I love this I song. Know this one. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know the song. I'm sure I'll recognize it when I hear it, but yes. it's not sticking out. To yeah, me this is like on the cusp of being a guilty pleasure, but I don't really feel that guilty about it to be honest. Like I love this song as a kid. It still gets to me now. It's just, it's just like bombastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love a lot of songs by the Four Seasons. This one is a treat, but yeah, the harmonies at the end. My God. It's just it's just, it's a delight of a song, but yeah, people talk about weddings in the comments. No, no wedding comments here. Let's check it out though. Nineteen sixty. Wait, what year is this from? Not nineteen sixty-three. I don't know if I've ever heard this. No way, man. I like this. Not ringing a bell. Oh man, this is this is like the highlight of the show. This is Thomas listening to December 1963 for the first time. So this came out in the disco era, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be ahead of themselves to 63 of this one. That's Frankie Valley, isn't it? Oh yeah, there he is. That piano's too good though. What a great part. Yeah man. I mean I'm not making any friends with this one, but uh, I think it's tight. Oh man, this might beat out You Can Call Me Out because I haven't heard it a million times. Oh, we got some horns and some synth in there. Oh yeah. Some of that synth. Uh, as vibrant then, as vibrant today as it was then. Uh, this is taking the prize. Ooh. There's all sorts of textures going on here. Wow, how had I never heard that before? <laughs> that's great. That's great. That's, a, that's a, a high moment on the show for me. It's Thomas listening to December 1963 for the first time. Oh, what a night. Um, that's a great song. I really enjoy it. Uh, I remember even as a kid, I was like, you know, 11 years old being like, is this like kind of whack that I like this song so much? <laughs> and I still feel that way. Nobody can resist a good disco bass line. I don't care who you are. No, no. And it brings people out. It brought everybody out the other day. I'm going to say two songs that for me are probably like the one and two of wedding tunes. You already sang one of them earlier. The king of all wedding songs is Shout. 
by the Isley Brothers. Like I don't. I don't oh, s- yep, yep. That's a good one though, because that's like sort of an audience participation thing. You got the dynamics. That's just like that's like the cha cha slide. That's not going anywhere. It is. Well, it, exactly. I was going to bring in that one too. That's another <laughs> one, right? That's like a cha cha slide would be like two or three. But I, I think, yeah, Shout for me is is tops because it's like an actual it's a great song. song too. Great performance. Amazing vocals. Uh, the dynamics obviously are like, if you want to look up dynamics in the dictionary, like this song should be in there. A little there. bit louder now. Uh, a little exactly. bit louder now. Yeah. It's almost like like literal dynamics. Yeah. Like I um, I won't hear any argument that says it's not the king of yeah. wedding songs. I don't know what you would say that is- That's pretty damn good. Superior to this. Nothing. The other one, and I know you have uh, negative feelings towards this one. I'm more ambivalent about it, but I, I don't think it can be argued that it's like in the top five or whatever. Build Me Up Buttercup by the Foundations. I'm pretty confident in saying that's a strong runner-up, but yeah, it's, I'm, I feel less strongly about this one. It's you know, Vocals are great. Vocals are, sh- are shredded up. Yep. But um, you, you're feeling like this is sort of drained of life for you. I've just heard it so much. It's just been played to shit, yeah. Another top one, I think, is Twist and Shout by the Beatles. Oh, that didn't even occur to me. Really? That that one, I heard both both nights, both weddings, my own wedding. And I was listening to it the other night because obviously I'm not listening. (laughs) I'm not sitting around listening to Twist and Shout by the Beatles often uh, in my house. I mean, nothing wrong with that, though. John Lennon's vocals. That's the thing. They fucking earned their stardom on that song alone. You're like, I can't ignore these guys. Yeah. We were talking about, I don't know if it was on the podcast or not on the podcast, but we were talking about, this is a strange comparison, but we talked about Anthony Perkins in Psycho. <laughs> okay. Right? And how going? everybody else in the film was like acting in another Sure, decade. sure, sure. And he's like fresh and you're like, who's that guy? Yeah. 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 He's like, he comes on the screen. You're like, did they superimpose this guy with CGI? Like, this is so modern. Yeah. Uh, that vocal compared to everything that else that was in the top 10 at that point, like that just mowed everything down <sighs> and you still hear it like the vocalist is just like it's raw he's shredded it's like an ecstatic recording like they captured something that was like very modern no that that's a great one. Oh, that's tough that's top tier a lot of these are top tier I don't know if I can just pick one you get four you have four, four options so far it sounds like twist and shout twist and shout's in there yeah I can't deny shout you call me out you can call me out I don't need that to be wedding song it's so many other okay. things I don't like need to have it in this and then you got Respect in December 1963. Uh, respect, I don't know. Respect might be falling out of the deck. Just wow. Because what else? We, have we gone over all of them now? Was that 11? I got two left. Okay. Got two yeah, left. I, I got to wait here. Uh, one of them is Celebration by Cool and the Gang. That's fucking played to death. That's not even a song to me at this point. Yeah, it doesn't do it for me. The last song that it's, it's, this is more on the cusp of is this like a top song that you hear all the time? But I think so. I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston. Eh, not. I feel like when I see people dancing to that song and getting excited, it feels like the same people who like watched I don't know Fresh Prince of Bel Air when they were a kid, and I never saw it. And I'm like, I don't have any connection to this. What? Okay, that's your thing. Like, I, just, I totally missed that. Right. I'm somewhat ambivalent about this one. Yeah, it's fine. It's kind of been somewhat played to death. Um, I didn't have the same like kinship with it. That I, yeah, that you're saying I think like others did that were like grew up with it and it hit them, but yeah. So I think it sounds like you're saying shout, twist and shout, December '63. And the last one, "Come and Get Your Love" by Redbone. 
That's my last pick. Oh, that's a great that's song. That's the pick. That's, that's a great the song. One. I, I love that song. I don't think that it's as ubiquitous as these others. It should be. But maybe it should be. Yeah. I'm glad I got this out of myself because I was just, you know, thinking about this the last couple of days. It really struck me that, you know, that's the, where the weddings go. And they always, this is the apex. Like these songs, this is like, you know, this is the last like half this hour. This is what you hang your hat yeah, on. Yeah, this is when everybody's yeah. like sweating. Yeah. And I hope I hope our listeners enjoyed this uh, wedding excursion. So I'll, I'm going to pivot to you now. I'm going to ask you our famous question, which I think, yeah, I'd, I'd say we're now famous for asking, what are you listening to this week? Losing my opinion. I got a lot of notes this week. I wrote a lot of shit down. This is <laughs> got a lot to tackle here. I don't know how much we'll get through. How should we start? Well, all right, let's play a little game first. Okay. So let's let's call it baby boomer era rock starting in the mid 60s. Yeah, describe pop rock in America in the mid 60s for me. Mid to late 60s, what's going on? Just spitballing here. What what's popular? What's happening? Mid to late 60s, I genres, sounds, styles. Some psychedelic, yeah, psychedelic psychedelic stuff, psychedelic rock. Are we talking mainstream? Or are we just talking mainstream? About- yeah. Okay. What, what are the trends here for the young people? Psychedelic tinges, I would say, more mainstream. Like we're not talking about like uh, the pretty things or something. It's not going to be mainstream, but like psychedelic flourishes, incense, peppermints type psychedelic yep. flourishes. All right. What's going on in the early seventies? Same genre. I would say things have become more singer songwritery, a bit more sentimental, a bit more sparse. Mm. I think. Yeah, not not um, slapping on the reverb and the, the 16 trumpets or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like less effects. Stripping it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, more um, focus on uh, personal situations, relationships, mm. growth, things like that, lyrically. What's happening in the late 70s with pop rock? Mainstream? Not not new wave, not the young people. The, the boomers. We're talking are, about mainstream? Mainstream. Talking mainstream American think, rock. What are we doing in the late 70s? I think we're looking at like start, starting to get kind of slick. Starting kind of like, like 79 or whatever. We're starting to get kind of slick. It's starting to get like MOR world. I think it's a little bit like the Eagles uh, long run. Like that that kind of sound. Like where it's just, it's, it's very crisp. This The soul is starting to get a little bit mm. sucked out mm. <laughs> somewhat. It's not even the fault of synthesizers at this point. Like it's just it's starting to get a little too clean. Losing a little imagination, losing the experimentation. How about mid '80s? What's going on? These same people, these same styles. By the time you hit the mid '80s, what are the trends? Oh, mid '80s. I mean, I think super tight synthy stuff. Uh, like just stuff that that does not have an air of breath overly produced <laughs> within it. Um, I'm talking about some synth tones that are talking about dead on arrival like uh, six months pass and these synth tones are sort of dated uh it's it's very hard for me to listen to music a lot of music that's mainstream from that era unless it's unless it's like so undeniably good that it transcends its production all right well tremendous job thank you very much you you nailed it i 100 percent agree all along the way you know, the, the trends that we saw play out in American rock music as a whole, for, for better or for worse. What were the fads? What kind of came and went? You did an excellent job. Truly a, a Losing My Opinion co-host uh, level performance there. Oh, thank you. Now, just a little bit more 
preamble before we we dive into it here. I'm really curious what we're talking about <laughs> uh, today. We're going to cover all of modern well, pop music. Well, hold, hold your horses. So, there are you. I assume you're familiar with the movie uh, Dewey Cox Walk Hard. I love that movie. I love that movie. Dewey Cox needs to think about his whole life before he goes out on stage. Underrated classic. There are so many classic lines from that. Yes, John's. For those who may not know or forget, John C. Riley plays a musician in the '60s, going into the '70s, where basically, uh, for a little while, he's the Beatles. Then he's Johnny Cash. Then he's Bob Dylan. Then he's uh, yeah. Brian Wilson. Then he's Dave Bowie. It's a parody of all that shit that was going on. And he's just like going through just the evolution of American pop music, rock music, whatever. Well, David Bowie's British, but you get the point. My argument for today, who we're talking about, there is a band that I think above any other band is like, you can watch their evolution from the 60s into the 80s. And they're just like a perfect blank slate that just whatever the era was, they just kind of adapted to that, and over time, the personnel kept changing. The band name would change. They're just if you were to make a film that just showed the evolution of American rock music and how things kind of devolved and kind of just got crappy and lame by the time you hit the eighties, <laughs> the perfect blank slate band to look at to follow along that journey is Jefferson, Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson Airplane, yeah, okay. Slash Jefferson Starship, <laughs> slash Starship, slash fucking Jefferson Starship, the next generation, or whatever the oh, fuck they're man. calling themselves at the time. I want That's who I want Jefferson to talk Starship, about Starship, the next generation. Yeah, yeah I, I, I got, when you started saying the thing about the evolution, I started thinking about them. Yeah, like how do you go from like- White Rabbit. Song? White Rabbit, right? Like how do you go from that to uh, we built this city? Like Jesus Let's find Christ. out, shall it, we? It's like a completely different human being. Literally, they are different human beings that have nothing to do with each other. Was there? Any, we'll get into it. Was there anybody? Was Grace Slick still? We'll get into. Yes, Grace Slick, but Grace okay. Slick is not a founding member of Jefferson Airplane. Technically, she's she, not. She came on for the Who second album. Marty Marty Balin or whatever? I feel like the rabbi from uh, A Serious Man. I'm not going to start doing the voice, but <laughs> Marty Balin, Paul Kampner, <laughs> Yorma Calkinson. Who's the other dude? The 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 bassist, something Cassidy, whatever. You get you got the core members of the airplane. So how are you with Jefferson Airplane? What what are your initial thoughts here? You a fan? Uh, well, for starters, I, I was literally just reading a book I have for my daughter called The History of Rock, which is like these little like oh. child cutouts of versions of uh, uh, musicians, and one of them is like there's a page on Woodstock. And it's like what they have is very clearly Jefferson Airplane, like you know, like Grace Slick out there. They have oh. like a you know, like a childlike version of Grace Slick there. Uh, and I always think like, oh, that's you know, that's interesting. I always forget about them that they were an entity at Woodstock because of what came later. Like my brain like deletes I that. I think I literally didn't know they played there. I mean, I knew even Country yeah. Joe and the what the fish, the tuna fish, or. Santana, <laughs> yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash. I, I, yeah, I didn't know if Jefferson Airplane played there. But I guess that kind of speaks to my point on this a little bit that, I mean, they, they have some classic enduring singles we can get to in a sec, but no, nobody's going around wearing Jefferson Airplane shirts, it feels like. Right. You don't see it often, no. Yes, there's the iconic imagery with the Doors and Jim Morrison and obviously Hendrix. 
Beatles, Rolling Stones, but it's Jefferson Airplane don't seem to be of that status culturally. They didn't get shepherded as a as a collective of musicians. They did not get shepherded into the the boomer canon. I think White Rabbit got put in there. And but Somebody like, to Love. Those are the two, right? Exactly. Exactly. Those two songs. Those are just the two. Two songs do not make though a a boomer canon band. I don't think they needed the album. They didn't have an album. That I mean, was Surrealistic like, Pillow is pretty solid. Yeah, that's a pretty good album up and down. I that's as close say. as they come. That's uh, as close as they come. Very strong. Well, let's call it a starting point. I mean, it's when Grace Slick joined the band. It's 1967, San Francisco. It's their second album. Set the stage. Yeah, let's set the stage for the uh, listeners. Summer of Love. Hate, Hate Ashbury. Ashbury. Lysergic. Yeah, Jerry Garcia's in the studio with them playing on some tracks. It's a, it's a very, very good 60s rock album. Is somebody to love and White Rabbit are eternal classics. Uh, so great, great opening here. Are are we assuming is our audience huge Jefferson Airplane fans? Has our audience heard White Rabbit and Somebody to Love enough that I don't need to play that right now to, to set the scene? Should I go with a little more kind of hipster music nerd pick, or should I? Am I overthinking it? No, you could be a hipster. That's fine. I mean, it's sort of what we do a lot. I mean, I know we just played. Build, just talking about Build Me Up Buttercup. And Frankie but, Valli in, yeah. in 1976. But Hey, man, you didn't hear that one. I was not being a hipster, apparently, with you. All right, so you you know you love White Rabbit, somebody to love. Great, great. Yeah, su- Surrealistic Pillow, I, I agree with you. That that's a we great We know album. that shit. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to play a song now. Again, that, that's where <laughs> we're starting from. This is the, the, you know, the 67 hippies, drugs part of the journey here. Jerry Garcia is clipping his toenails at the edge of your bed. And uh, he's also playing on this song today. I think this song mm. is pretty underrated. Are you a Dead fan? I was thinking of doing a Dead episode, and I was like, I don't know if the Thomas is really this, uh, up your when alley. When they sit down and write songs and like work out arrangements right. and sing enough in yeah. tune, I'm down. They got plenty of stuff that I, <laughs> I like. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan, but... yeah. Yeah, they they have their albums for me. That like, there's a set number of sure. albums, and I'm like, these are the albums yeah, for me. It's a yeah. certain era. But um, Jerry Garcia played on this tune today off the album Surrealistic Pillow. You know, we we know that they got the the big undeniable psychedelic hits. This shows another kind of tender, cool, sort of understated side of the band at this time. Apparently, it was written for Tony Bennett. <laughs> uh, never made it that far to the point where Tony Bennett covered it, but uh, I believe this this one's wow. from Marty Balin and Paul Kantner, to the the pillars of the initial airplane lineup here. Let's listen to a little bit of today. It's 
a little hippy dippy, but those are some nice chords. It's tender. It is. I, I, yeah, I still enjoy this. Yeah. Ooh, there we go. Today, you're making me say that I somehow have changed. Today. All right, so we're right there, right? Summer love. Yeah. Psychedelic drugs. We're running the gamut here. Yeah. Now. Yeah, I enjoy that. This is the best it's going to get with Jefferson Airplane. This. Yeah, you talk about Serialistic Pillow, it's kind of like... And then... Fucking Volunteers of America Sucks Ass, that song. You know, that's but that record... I've not really heard that record. But people talk about Volunteers as like their other classic... You're saying it's I mean not. that one song sucks. I forget what else is on it. I maybe their their version of Wooden Chips, which I always that was my favorite. I like that more than huh. Carsby Stills and Nash or whatever else. I thought they did a, a cool version of that song. I mean, it's it doesn't end here. There are cool jams and other songs happening later on, but this is clearly the the high watermark surreal stick pillow, okay. at least for me. Now, getting to my point, which we're gonna expand on in a moment here, but the the always changing with the times, but just sort of being a vessel, like a blank slate for whatever musical mm. trends were going on. I mean, you have lots of bands that it's like, oh, clearly Queen is is doing the disco thing now, or yeah. doing the new wave thing, or but it's integrated into their right. Rolling foundation. Stones is playing with the sound that's popular, but it's still yeah. they're incorporating that genre, that new sound into something else that was already existing that's recognizable. Sure. That, you know, people that's what fans keep coming back to. I don't really know what that is with this group of people. Like, there's no the core is just the the psychedelic like classics. Beyond that, it's like what 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 happened next? What can I glom onto? So you're saying they abandoned this foundation and it's not just not there anymore. Like this, this is not a center of their. I mean, you tell me. Oh, well, I guess I should ask. Have you heard any? No. All right. So we're gonna keep. No. We're gonna move on here, folks. We're gonna fast forward just four years, if that. We're coming up on the the end of Jefferson Airplane proper. They have a few more albums. Nothing hit super big. There's no other surreal stick pillow level classics. There's a few good jams here and there. So you said the early seventies. Early seventies said it's it's more stripped down. It's maybe more singer songwriter focused. Hmm. Uh, maybe more acoustic. Sure. Um, let's go to a tune from the album Bark from nineteen seventy one. It's not an album that's going to knock your socks off. There's some good jams on there. Uh, feel so good. Only pretty as you feel might be a highlight for me. Kind of a jazzy feel. But to line up with what you were describing earlier. Let's check out Third Week at the Chelsea. Okay. So this is where I would say the band was, uh, at least when they were exploring their softer side, uh, by the time you get to the early 70s. Grace Slick uh, appears on this one, which is nice. All right, here we go. Third Week in the Chelsea.
Neil 1971 much? I actually, I really like this. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, I enjoy it. Sometimes I feel like I am leaving life behind. My hands are moving faster, moving over my mind. Thoughts and generations of my dreams are yet unborn. I hope that I will find them for my moving gets too warm. If only I could live to see the dawning of the dawn. So we go on moving, trying to make this image real. Yeah, it reminds me of like Lemon Spoonful or something like that. So that's that era. Now we're coming up on the end of Airplane and the beginning of Jefferson's Starship. Uh, I assume you don't know why they changed the name. Uh, maybe they were visited by aliens. Is there a specific reason why they... So, and this is where all my fucking notes come in. It's a big mess here, but... You say 90% of this episode is about why the names uh, were changed. No, no, no. I mean, I'll try to keep this succinct without boring people. So in 1970, Jefferson Airplane was on break from touring. Uh, founding member Paul Kantner recorded a concept album that named like a starship at some point. Oh, uh, like an ad hoc group of musicians who played on that album were temporarily called like Paul Kantner and Jefferson's Starship. Okay. Like just, oh, one-off, let's do that because it's like sci-fi themed, this album. Blows Against the Empire. Now, they kept that in mind when uh, Grace Slick and Paul Kantner and a bunch of new musicians who came in separate from the Surrealistic Pillow days, they were, they were jamming together and Marty Balin joined pretty soon after. So we're talking 74, 75 is when Balin came in. Why did they go through the trouble of dropping airplane? I think they didn't want to continue with certain members, maybe, and Starship was snappy, and they they recognized they were technically a separate unit, but their manager was like, "Hey, keep Jefferson. That sells." So, all right, Jefferson Starship. It's all whatever you can. It's all go, about the Jefferson. You can yeah. you can go read a book about it, but that seems to be. The, I'm sure after that explanation, people are uh, running. Excuse to me. Their... Yeah, but I and I was I don't know like several several members got way fucking too much into cocaine, so maybe you're trying to drop that dead mm-hmm. weight. But for whatever reason, okay, we're rebranding. We're Starship. We're we're Jefferson Starship. Uh, we're mostly a lot of the same people from Jefferson Airplane. We're rocking and rolling here. It's the mid-70s. So Marty Bielan came back, right? Because he was like a founding dude. So he left and he's like... He got sick of their shit for a few years and then came back to Jefferson Starship. Sick of everybody's shit. Uh, I'm not a rock historian here. I'm doing my best. But you can figure that out in the screenplay for the movie. But point is, we're in the mid-70s now. What's the mid-70s sound? Okay, well, you got... Of any incarnation of any of these people so far, the biggest selling single by 1975 was not the stuff from the 60s. It was this next song called Miracles from the album Red Octopus. Yeah, it's like who fucking knows. Yeah, I'd never heard this song. It was a hit back in the day. I'd never heard of it. But this this is where that group of folks is at now. Let's check out Miracles, see if we notice, you know, a shift in the style. Wow, this record was two times platinum. I have never heard of this. <laughs> People didn't uh, pay attention to it after 
its initial run, I guess. I don't know. Wow. Well, let's see if it's, uh, see what you think of it. Maybe it's a hidden gem here. I already hear 1976. Yeah, this is, this is different. Far from Yacht Rock. Oh, yes. I know this song. You like this one? It's all right. It's a little. Bland. It's got it's a it's got a vibe to it. Yeah, I mean it's not. I'm not gonna s- seek it out. I've definitely heard it before. I mean you're gonna kill me for saying this. Yeah. But I associate. If you told me this song was the Doobie Brothers, I would have been like, Oh, oh yeah, that's dude. Doobie what Brothers. are you t- talking about? That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> it's totally that sound. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a Doobie Brothers song. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's where we're at now. Not bad. Not bad. I understand why it was a huge hit. Yeah, big hit. It's it's checking all the boxes of pop music of that era. All right, so you with me still so far here that they're they're a pretty good barometer of what's happening in the. I'm keeping track of this. Yeah. uh, Odyssey. (laughs) So, all right. Jefferson Starship takes flight. You get a bunch of albums over the years, none of which I've had ever heard of before researching this week, uh, including Spitfire, Earth, all terrible album covers, by the way, like the cheesiest shit, cheesiest graphics. Earth, it looks like Star Wars font and apparently like the success of their album Earth, like around 1977, 78, whatever, led them to being contracted to provide a song for the Star Wars holiday special. Hell yeah. Everybody loves that. Uh, they got the album Winds of Change. You got Nuclear Furniture. These are some solid titles. Yeah, huh? One of the uh, albums from the Sarah, uh, Freedom at Point Zero. Okay. It's got a song on it called Jane. Okay. Jane was featured in Wet Hot American Summer, uh, Cocaine Bear, among other things. <laughs> okay. I've not seen that yet, but... Yeah. So we're in 1979 now. We're still we're with Jefferson Starship. Uh, let's let's check in on what they're doing around this time. See if if they're they're keeping things fresh here. See if we okay. if we still hear the the band that we started at the beginning with the the today the surrealistic pillow, White Rabbit, somebody to love. If we still feel that energy here. Not the 
This is dazed and confused territory here. Help me with your best shot. Oh, shit. This is a different band. How do you feel about this one? Uh, yeah, yeah, this is not... No, this is not for me. I mean, it's... It's for this genre. It's very well done. Like it does all the things. This is like the precursor to Rocky montage music. Mm. Yeah, it is more corporate feeling, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's Jane. Again, big hit of the time. Uh, we're rolling into the '80s now. They're losing original founding members of Jefferson Airplane pretty fast here. By 1984, the last one. Still in the game, Paul Kantner. He left. He's like, we're we're not accomplishing things here, folks. This this kind of pop music is not satisfying me. Uh, so the vocalist you just heard, who kind of became okay. the de facto leader of whatever we're calling this band now, Mickey Thomas. So Mickey Thomas, just to back up a little bit, by the time you get to '84, there's lawsuits going on. Mickey Thomas and Grace Slick, and then everybody else is just these Johnny-come-latelys who joined on from the Starship days, they want to keep going as Jefferson Starship, but they, they can't have Jefferson anymore. They tried briefly performing as Starship Jefferson, but uh, that didn't fly. So that's how you end up with Starship. <laughs> Grace Slick is still in there, but we've morphed into a totally different beast at this point. So this is not Jefferson Starship anymore? No, we're about to hear just Starship. You, they can't use Jefferson anymore. Jeez, this is complicated. Way more notes than I could digest this week. Uh, I'll leave that up to the, the documentarians, the screenwriters. The so people. it was like Paul Kantner, right, was like kind of cruising through a lot of this. He was on, he was on yeah. most of these. Marty Ballon bounced back and forth. Is there anyone that stayed the whole time? Like a cowbell player or something that was there from the beginning? Like, <laughs> I mean, Grace Slick didn't. Did she leave? No, I'm I'm forgetting. I don't. I think she left for like one record, but she's like yeah. Not she as she was she stayed with them into back. Starship. You're gonna hear her on this next song, but okay. I'm starting to feel like that meme of Charlie Day in front of the uh, the whiteboard in sure. <laughs> and it's always sunny. Just like now, look over here at the. It's it's we need a timeline drawn out, but right right. This this is we're in the the latter half of the movie here. We're in the last third. Uh, we feel like we've lost our principles a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you get a song like We Built This City. We're going to go to We Built This City. But that's We got to end on that. Come on. That song is... I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like that song. Uh, co-written by Bernie Taupin, the lyricist for Elton John. Feather of the cap of <laughs> Bernie Taupin. That's crazy, because like, he's known as a, as a great lyricist. I mean, you know, Amarina... Like that dude has written some fantastic lyrics. Those lyrics in that song are like, uh, are this. We built the city, 1985. Uh, it was an intended. It was intended as a lament against the closure of many of Los Angeles's live music clubs. Okay. Uh, re- local references. That being said, it got a lot of criticism for sounding corporate rock you know even though it, the lyrics are trying to be anti-corporate <laughs> nah uh, come on it has that's top unfair some, 
It has topped some uh, worst song of all time polls. That that is true. Oh yeah, yeah. Blender and uh, GQ. What's so bad about the song? Maybe we should check it out uh, here on the show and, and see if we agree. But this this is where we end up. This is the end of the road. This is the yeah. This is like <laughs> uh, I have in my head. You know, in Boogie Nights, the song that they write. Like the sound of that song, like that the drums, yeah. they're like do 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 do. I have Mark. that in my yeah. head like, for this. Go to this part, and they're doing lines. Yeah, yeah. you got the touch. Yeah, <laughs> this to me, this sounds very much like that. All right, well, let's listen to it live here. See what we think. We've we've gone from White Rabbit to We Built the City. Although you could argue these bands have nothing to do with each other. It's Starship. Mm-hmm. But here, here we go. Yeah, here. this is Starship now. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. We built this city. Nice vocal echo. <laughs> we built this city on rock and roll. Bam, bam. Shit. That's the name of the album, Knee Deep in the Hoopla. Great. Good catchy. Too many runaways eating up the night. Marconi plays the mamba. Marconi plays the mamba. <laughs> Why is Abe Lincoln in the video? Everybody's admiring a statue of Abe Lincoln in the music video. I'm like really fixating on Abe Lincoln in this video. I'm not sure. Are we standing up? He's dancing now. Abe Lincoln. Oh, shit. Oh, here's Grace Slick. Here's Grace Slick, yeah. Corporation Games. It's not a bad lyric. They are always changing the corporation names. But I mean, I mean, what? Twitter to X? You know, we're, we're still living in this. This is actually resonating with me quite a bit. <laughs> okay. We're good here? You're think, I think you're liking it a little more than you thought. Yeah, I think, I think we are. You know, it's funny. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. But... I don't remember all of those tidbits. Like I, I all I remember about the song is we that them screaming that they built the city on rock and roll with like twelve part harmony or whatever's going on there. But I don't remember all the like the verses and everything and all the instrumentation and it doesn't make the song better for me, but um it is a curiosity stripped of humanity. And it was just so strange that's where we started. Like we, like the first song you played, like Jerry Garcia played on Today. That was like Sounded like people jamming in a garage. Basically, yeah. And to go from, and that was released. It wasn't, I'm not talking about a demo, like that was on the record. We went from that level of organic aesthetic to this, which is about as far on the other end of the spectrum as you could get, I think. I, having heard it now, it's fresh in my mind. I 
think if you had written the same song down, all the notes, the arrangement ideas, blah, 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 but you didn't have 80s recording technology. It was 1970. You think it's, it's think salvageable? It's, it's a decent melody. The lyrics are weird, but a lot of songs have weird lyrics. I think it's assness all comes down to the farting sense, the the bombastic sound of the vocals and the stupid drums and the... It's just, it's way too 1985 yeah. for its own good. I think there is a, you could do a cover of this that I think would sound decent if you had the right kind of instruments. That's my theory. Well, wasn't this song like, didn't it sell It, it was the best lot? fucking selling <laughs> like, thing they ever did, way more than Miracles, certainly way more than Surrealistic Pillow. This was the moneymaker right here. I mean, it's sold really well. So like- This was it. Mickey either Thomas. Either we're wrong. We Save the day here. Well, I mean, we are- you know, we're, we're wrong because, like, this was a huge hit. People loved it. You still hear it on the radio now. Like, it has endured. We're talking about it. Like, you know, it's it's in our collective uh, unconscious now. So clearly they did something right in the sense, not necessarily artistically right, but they did something right in a commercial sense, which probably, I mean, to your point of, like, there's a great melody in here, um, that probably is true. I, and I believe that for songs even that I hate, like, on a, on a commercial level, that they've done something quote unquote right, even with all the money in the world pushed at us from Atlantic and Columbia. Like it's it's hard to create an enduring hit that doesn't have that kind of melody. It's going to last for you know forty years on. Indubitably. Well, I think what has to happen is what we've realized is for any listener out there with a DIY recording setup, you need to record a stripped down version of this song. Hell yeah! And get to the heart of it and see if it holds up. Yeah, real breathy. Maybe adapt the lyrics to reflect the closure of music venues, you know, post-COVID. Make it updated. Oh, a bit. yeah, make it a make it a post-COVID song. Yeah, talk about merch splits. There you go. Yeah, uh, and that concludes my my dive into Jefferson Airplane slash wow. Starship. It truly just a blank slate for whatever era they were operating in. I don't know. That's what, a heavy research episode for us. That's like a that's like a hardcore history podcast for and us. Again, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's we're we're in it today. This is like I, I feel like we upped our game, or you did. I was just talking about weddings. Well, sounds like you agree. Sounds like not much resistance on this one. No, I I love this walkthrough. This is not a band I really think about much. I can't even say. I think White Rabbit is a very special tune that captures something. Uh, even the recording is very special. You know, somebody loves a good song, but I think White Rabbit is is, is, is some some kind of magic there in that recording. Surrealistic Pillow is a, a great album, and then beyond that, yeah, I know these. I guess I knew Miracles. I didn't know I did, but um, yeah, this this tune is the other one I think of. You knew it as done by the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie Brothers version. Yeah, right. The that one that they did. Yeah, this was a weird walkthrough. I'm glad I did it, though. I do kind of want to listen to Volunteers. Yeah, it's like you could find a handful of songs you'd probably get into all the way through Airplane. And maybe, honestly, even early Starship. I mean, we didn't hate Miracles, but third week in the Chelsea. No. You can start there, work your way back. I, yeah, that was all right. We're coming up on the end of the show here. I feel like this, this ended up being a long one, but you got anything to plug? No. Oh, I'm playing for, for folks who are in New Jersey. I'll be playing at Crossroads Garwood um, on 11-15. That's a Wednesday night. It's part of the uh, Riders Around New Jersey uh, showcase that they do. 
And uh, if you're a New Jerseyite, come out and support your your brethren. Cool stuff. And I got stuff going on, but nothing nothing ready to announce quite yet. But I do want to say, uh, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast today, losing mm-hmm. my opinion, go ahead and. If see- you love hardcore research, it's oh, your favorite. It's exhausting, artist. and it, it's still inaccurate. I still screwed it up, but <laughs> no, it was good enough for what we do. Certainly, it's passable. Uh, you can go ahead and subscribe to this podcast podcast on whatever platform you like to listen on, so you never miss a future episode. You can follow Losing My Opinion on Instagram, TikTok, or X. Changing those company names. That's what happens. Still playing the same company game. And, they write us off the page, you know? And uh, I'm waiting for a depiction of the, the decline of rock music as told through the lens of, of uh, the Jefferson Airplane Fellows. So I'm still waiting for that movie. I think it'd be a, a nice dour hit, and I could be wrong now. But I don't think so. You got to put three or four harmonies on that. I don't have to do shit. To really make it pop so long suckers see you next week when the truth is found